Argentina and Chile, two South American countries, share quite a bit. They share a language, a Spanish colonial history, and, crucially, they share one of the longest borders in the Western Hemisphere. Come listen to a tale of penguins, Patagonia, and popes as we discuss the border dispute that almost ignited a full-scale war. Hey, Race. Hi, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. Glad to hear it. Um, since we last recorded, you have given a new listener to the podcast, if I'm correct. That is right. So uh, my wife gave birth to our second baby. Everything went well. Um, about as good as you can hope for. So we're very pleased. It's very exciting. I personally can't wait till he's a guest Yes, on the show because I'm sure he'll have a lot to say. So He can come talk about the spread of um, communism in Central America. Yeah, I think that'll be appropriate. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Oh, boy. Well, we have a very good topic for today that I'm excited to talk about. This is one that if, for any listeners out there, if this ends up being something you're interested in, there is... There are a million other kind of side conflicts and related, really interesting kind of pieces of history that go along with this one. So I'm excited about this one. This one, and it, we we might end up doing another one on like, which was really interesting. Um, but today, this is a this is a juicy one. I love it. I can't wait. Yeah, and I have a getting to know you question before we jump in. Okay. And I was thinking about this at work today. I was trying to think what really gets to the heart of someone's character and personality. And this is my question. Tyler, all fast food options are available to you? <laughs> oh, no. All the standard okay. fast food options. Yeah. Which restaurant do you go to and what is your order? Oh, man. I'm trying to think of a way around this. Because <laughs> as soon as you ask and it's, it, it's... <laughs> and it's fine if the answer is just right now what sounds best. That's fine. I immediately know what my answer is, but I'm trying to think of any out that I have here. Okay, my answer, TBQA. Wait, why do you, hold on, why do you need an out? <laughs> You'll hear in a second. <laughs> <laughs> my answer is I'll go straight to Wendy's. I get the number six, which is a spicy chicken sandwich with fries and a Dr. Pepper with light ice. And... This is something that I get like two times a week. So <laughs> it's a very familiar order. There's actually a Wendy's right across the street from my apartment. So it's a blessing. You probably keep Can't them. Curse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think Do they... I should be being paid dividends at this point. Like I'm basically a shareholder. <laughs> <laughs> Do the people there know your name? No, they don't know my No, one of them does. Some, some of them does. Okay. Name. Yeah. Because uh, before I. That's how talk, you really. Yeah, I would walk in person. Yeah, that's how you really know you made it. That's how I had a yeah. a yeah a job over the summer in law school, and um, my boss he took me to lunch a couple times to the fast food places around, and everybody knew his name, and I was like, "That's how you really know." <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good. What's I your? I think for me, oh. I think for me, it's Taco Bell, and I I welcome the hate. Oh, yeah. Pile it on. I don't care. Um, <laughs> And I think it might be, it used to be, they talk about it's been changing the menu recently, but I think it might be a number six, but you can get two 
um, Chalupas, Supreme Chalupas. Oh yeah, that's where. It's, that's the best. That's the best thing at Taco Bell. You know, a very surprising thing about me is that I don't go to Taco Bell more often. I can't explain it. I think Taco Bell is delicious, but for I don't know, it just like slips my mind. And there's not one close to me. I think if there was one close to me, I'd be there all the time. Yeah, that'll do it. See, and I, I go out of my way to find reasons to eat. Uh, that sounds. And crazy. I fully understand. I fully understand the hate. <laughs> um, you're not going to change my mind, but I get it. Like everything kind of tastes the same. It's definitely not Mexican food. I feel but... I feel the same when people um, diss on Wendy's because I'm like, okay, the fries are not as good as McDonald's, whatever. <laughs> But I like what I like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, don't, uh, what would it be called? Don't, uh, don't grease shame me. No grease shame. You can't decide. Yeah, you can't decide what I get to like <laughs> and what I don't. As Americans, <laughs> we are all entitled to our corner of fast food. Yeah. Um, this also arose because um, I get a lot of grief. There really isn't a fast food place that I won't eat and don't have an item that I'm like that's my jam at this place like I get a lot my wife absolutely hates jack-in-the-box she refuses to eat jack-in-the-box and I will eat some jack-in-the-box so fast I respect it I've never really been to jack-in-the-box it's all over out west but yeah I was just unfamiliar with it (laughs) I think that's that's the common review that I've heard yeah and I'm fine with that. I still, but if you ever go, you can get two of their um, tacos for like $1.75. Oh, yum. Yeah. It's an interesting experience. That'd be great. Anyway, I feel like that that's a good question. If you ever need to get to know somebody, it, it cuts to the heart of uh, of character, I, I feel like. Because some people um, won't have an answer, which I don't know what you're trying to, if you think you're better than oh, me, because I, you don't. Yeah, you literally know. get over yourselves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, I knew that. I knew that about you. I knew. I knew that. I'm uh, sure you Wendy's remember from BYU fun. days. I do. Nothing has changed. I do. <laughs> I do. So the Beagle conflict is a an international dispute concerning. Uh, we're going to get back into some Thalweg, some hot, hot Thalweg action. Ooh. <laughs> and um, and it's it, this is going to be some a geography heavy discussion. And Tyler, you can illuminate that for us a little bit um, i'm so excited yeah let's hear it yeah i think that's important when uh talking about this just because it's a part of the world that we never ever talk about personally before i started researching for this episode i couldn't really tell you that many geography facts about this so i was really excited to learn more about this but um so for all listeners out there who have access to a map app i would recommend going to your maps and then take a look at South America. And when you get to South America, go towards the bottom where you see Chile on the left and Argentina on the right. And this whole southern region of South America, basically down until the tip, I mean, all the way through the tip, is colloquially referred to as Patagonia. Patagonia is not like a geographic region or it's not, it's not, got a specific border to it it's just kind of the name for the area kind of in the way that in america we would talk about like the pacific northwest it doesn't have strict borders it's just generally the area Mm. 
But if you zoom towards the very bottom, the tip of Argentina and Chile, there's a place, and the, the easiest way to do this also might be to type in Tierra de Fuego, Tierra del Fuego. And Tierra del Fuego is this archipelago of islands down here at the bottom. And that um, is kind of a central area of the conflict that we're talking today with the Beagle conflict. You'll notice on the right that the Falkland Islands lie to the east of South America. That'll be important later on in the episode. And Tierra del Fuego in general is really crucial to the circumnavigation of the globe by Magellan, which we actually talked about in our last episode about flat earth. When Magellan mm -hmm. uh, came from Portugal all the way around to this side of the globe, trying to find a way to the East Indies, he did so by navigating through the Tierra del Fuego. And it's kind of hard to show on the map exactly where he went, but we will put in the episode notes like a, a description of the path. But it's called the Strait of Magellan. And if you look right above the big island of Tierra del Fuego, there's like kind of a wide, wide river. And that's the river that Magellan navigated through. And then it kind of comes around goes down south a little bit and then out through all these islands on the west side. And that's known as the Strait of Magellan. It's so when we say that Magellan circumnavigated, I and I knew that there was the Straits of Magellan, but like you were saying before I researched this, I kind of just pictured him literally going around oh, the tip same. of South America. Which yeah, didn't same. I was so uh, yeah. intrigued by that because I mean, we always just talk about it like, yeah, he went around South America. And so you just assume he went around the land by going down south. But no, and I thought this was so interesting. At the time that Magellan was exploring, there was a very widespread idea in Europe, and you can even see it on maps of the time, that at the bottom of the earth, there was a lot of land. And they thought that there was this, I think they call it a hypothetical continent on Wikipedia. They thought there was a hypothetical continent called Terra Australis, and that means southern land. And if you look on maps, it just, it looks like there's a bunch of land instead of where the ocean would be. And Europeans at the time thought this was true because they thought that in order to balance out the top of the earth and the bottom of the earth probably had to have the same amount of land. And uh, right, yeah, and because okay. they knew, I think they kind of knew what Canada was like. And obviously they knew what Europe and Russia were like. There's tons of land up there. They assumed that the bottom would be full of land as well. So Magellan, going through the Strait of Magellan, probably just thought, oh, I've got South America on my right here, and I've got Terra Australis on my left. But he was wrong, because there, there isn't that much land. Honestly, there's Tierra del Fuego, and then after that, there's water. Um, but that's where he thought he was going. So he could have taken one of three different paths, actually, to get around South America. The first path is the path that he took, which is the Strait of Magellan. And the second path is germane to our conflict today, and that's called the Beagle Channel. And again, this is kind of hard to find just by scrolling around the map. But if you type in Beagle Channel, you should be able to find it. Uh, you can also type in Ushuaia, which is the closest city nearby. Um, but it's at the very, very bottom, and it's just, it follows along the border between Chile and Argentina, and the Beagle Channel goes above a couple different islands, and three of those islands are critical to what we're talking today, talking about today, which is uh, Picton, Lennox, and Nueva. 
And the Beagle Channel, by the way, of the three pathways would have been the most difficult to travel. So it makes sense that he didn't take it. First of all, it's further south than the Strait of Magellan actually was. So he probably didn't even know about it. And second of all, it's just considered, it is navigable, but it's very difficult to navigate. And the third passage that he could have taken is what's known as the Drake Passage. And I thought this was so interesting to learn about because the Drake Passage is basically all the water south of South America until you reach Antarctica. It's a width of about 600 miles. And it's known as the Drake Passage because there was a navigator named Drake who followed after Magellan. His boat gets pushed by some winds down south. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's no land down there. It's just water. And that was the first time anybody in Europe thought to contradict the idea of Terra Australis. And they thought, I don't think that continent is actually real. It's probably just water. So that's why it's called the Drake Channel. The Drake Channel, by the way, is one of the most dangerous places to navigate a boat in the world. There is almost no land in this channel. If you look at it, you can see there's basically nothing between um, South America and Antarctica. And because yeah. of that, the currents that move, that move through there do not get absorbed by any land. So they just have this massive force behind them. And the waves of the water get as high as 40 feet. So it's very, very treacherous. However, last year, at the end of the year in December 2019, there was a group of people who became the first group to row a boat across the passage. It took them 12 days. Wow. <laughs> and... I don't know why they did that, but good for them. It sounds romantic <laughs> and was probably awesome. And yes, there is a movie about it. And yes, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> um, so one of the other things that I uh, read about the Drake passage is there's icebergs. Because oh, of course I, there are. Of course, yeah. Yeah, coming up from, um, from Antarctica. And so that, you know, as if... If the Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle Titanic taught me anything, <laughs> it's that you've got you got to watch out. For those Icebergs and boats—they're like oil and water. Yeah, not good. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then another fun thing, as I was reading about this, I recalled that um, my wife's grandfather was on the first submarine that ever went around through the Drake Drake oh, Passage. Oh wow! And, um, yeah, so he was on the USS Sea Robin um, right after World War II, and they. Um, he was on it when they went around the tip Whoa, of the that's awesome. Yeah. The Drake Passage seems, uh, and the Strait of Magellan, to, I think historically would have been very valuable areas to explore because mm -hmm. we didn't get the Panama Canal until the turn of the century, which would have been the first time that you could just cut through the Americas on a boat. And you know, I don't know how much traffic there was on the waters, but I assume it had to be more than there is now because back then it was the only way to get around the continent. Yeah. And particularly the Straits of Magellan, if it's safer than, you know, the 40 foot waves of yeah. the Drake Passage, you know, you really don't want to lose your ships. Um, nobody, nobody does at any point, but that's, that's, um, that's the of utmost importance is finding, you know, the safest passage, the fastest passage. So that makes sense that that, um, you know, that this conflict that we're going to discuss kind of came about because people want want dibs on the shortcut, basically. Yeah, totally.
So now that Tyler's helped us understand the geography, we can talk about the conflict. And, and part of the conflict is this, the Beagle Passage and the fact that Argentina and Chile, the two countries that border each other down there in this part of the world, uh, basically fought about it. And there's a long history of a border dispute between these two countries. Um, and the history of these two countries is really interesting because it, they almost mirror each other in some freaky ways. So um, both of them, as Spanish-speaking countries in South America, not surprisingly, started um, under Spanish conquest. The conquistadors came over um, and did their um, not super pleasant thing for a long time. And then um, Chile declared independence from Spain in 1818. And um, after that, it was quite stable in the 1800s and um, was actually known for being pretty wealthy and doing great. And then there was some pretty severe polarization in the early 1900s um, that kind of maps with the rest of the world. You had a really strong kind of leftist movement with um, kind of labor concerns. And then you had a really strong right wing movement and they grew to distrust each other. And um, there was a lot of um, bad blood and, and mistrust about elections and stuff. Um, not that any of this could happen today. And this all resulted in a... Um, a coup in 1973, where the democratically elected government, um, left-wing government, um, was overthrown, and um, a right-wing dictatorship um, under the leadership of a man named Augusto Pinochet uh, took over. It lasted for about 16 years, so it was um, it was um, late into the 20th century before it fell. And it was characterized by some pretty severe human rights abuses. There's some pretty interesting um, reading to be done there about the, the abuses and the cover-ups and people who went missing and some really brave um, mm. journalists and stuff who tried to uncover it, if you want to get into that. So, like I said, super interesting. The regime ended in 1990, the year I was born. Tyler, were you born in 1990? I was, yeah. You're the horse. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've always said you're very horse-like. <laughs> <laughs> we both are, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the regime ended in 1990, and uh, Chile is now a, a very stable, high-income country. It's a democracy, and it importantly currently um, claims parts of Antarctica as as belonging to uh, belonging to Chile. Mm. Argentina followed a very similar historical path. Um, there was the native Incas. There was a Spanish colonization. Um, there was, um, the, the divergence a little bit is after there was, there was a declaration of independence and Argentina didn't win its independence so easy. There was a long fight, um, uh, against the Spanish. And then after independence, um, they f fell to kind of some squabbling and infighting, couldn't decide exactly what kind of government they wanted to have. Um, which is one of the interesting things about the American revolution. It really in a lot of ways went pretty seamlessly yeah. <laughs> for never having been tried in quite that way. Um, we kind of set up a government. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were some pretty severe, severe uh, speed bumps, but eventually pretty quickly we settled into a very manageable setup. Uh, George Washington was in charge. He left office. Somebody else took over. That guy left office. Somebody else took over. Um, and so we were very fortunate in that in that aspect. That is not what happened here. It was not uh -huh. kind of orderly. There wasn't um, uh, there wasn't um, consensus about what should be happening. So big civil war, and that lasted until 1861. So that was 40 years. Um, 
And as a result, as you can imagine, the country was kind of left in tatters by the time they did come to some sort of a, um, of a union again. They were not doing um, super great, but they did manage to stabilize. And part of that was due to a huge influx of immigrants. This is something I did not know that um, today, or as of the last data, over 60% of the population has full or partial Italian ancestry Whoa. in Argentina, which I didn't know. So um, they had a big influx of, of people and that kind of um, helped them out. They're also an interesting country. Um, um, Argentina is the eighth largest country in the world. So basically, if you had asked me to list the largest countries in the world, I probably could have got the top seven. And then you would have told me Argentina and I would have been surprised. Yeah. Like United States, Russia, China, um, Australia, India, uh, Canada, and then Brazil. Yeah. And then I would have said, I don't know what comes after that. And you would, Tyler would have known and he would have said, oh, it's actually Argentina. And I would have said, oh, no way. Um, I looked it up and Argentina is actually the size of the, the mountain west states. So oh, like oh, okay. basically everything, everything west of Colorado, except for um, Washington, Oregon and California. So, oh, wow. Okay. Like all of the Rocky Mountain states, Idaho, Montana, um, um, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, all of that. That's about how big Argentina is. So it's quite large. Um, and it's uh, particularly in, in reference to Chile, it's, it's um, substantially bigger than, than Chile. And um, after this immigrant, immigrant boom came in, there's a strong cowboy culture because there's kind of big open plains. That's part of what Tyler was talking about um, with Patagonia or open spaces. And um, then the Great Depression comes, which um, got very poor reviews at the time. People were not fans. And it had, a, it had this nasty habit of really tanking uh, entire economies. And so that happened um, pretty severely to Argentina. And it was is thrown that, into Is that the Great Depression of the United States as yes. well? Caught yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah the, it was worldwide. Um, I think it varied its <clears throat> impact um, depending on where you were. I don't think that, for instance, um, in 1929, you know, America's interests and relationships were uh, different than they are today and mostly just more limited. Like we probably weren't doing a ton of trading with korea in 1929 or rather as much as we were with countries closer to us just because yeah. of the nature of you know everything and so but i think countries in um in the basically the closer you were whether proximity or in kind of dependence or relationship to the united states it it really did um did hurt a lot of people um, a lot of other countries and wow. argentina was no um was no exception and so that was the, yeah, the, the stock market crash in the United States in 1929. And unfortunately, that kind of basically just took Argentina and took it back, um, you know, 60 years, 100 years, mm -hmm. back to underdevelopment, to kind of poor infrastructure and, um, and all of that. And then similar to, um, to Chile in 1976, they pull themselves up and they have... Um, or by the 70s, they pulled themselves up. They had an elected government. Everything was going pretty well. And then a military dictatorship came in. Um, instead of being run by one person like Pinochet in Chile, it was run by um, a, a, like a group of military officials called the Junta. And the Argentinian Junta was um, in charge until 1983. So again, kind of similar to what happened in Chile. And um, also very unfortunately, 
it was um, full of human rights abuses, oppression, um, forced disappearances, and and whatnot. One of the the more interesting things that I found um, uh, related to the the similarities between Chile and Argentina was in 1881 when, um, which is what we're going to talk about now, they were, they were constantly trying to work out treaties to settle, okay, who owns all of this kind of fuzzy, empty land down there? Where does the line go, etc. And um, in 1881, they tried to sit down and have an, have an agreement. And the United States um, had um, ambassadors in Santiago, Chile, the capital, and Buenos Aires, Argentina, and the two U.S. ambassadors were named Thomas A. Osborne and Thomas O. Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not confusing enough for you. Um, so during <laughs> while they were trying to nail this down, the, the, the ambassadors had the exact, essentially the exact same name. But that so the 1881 agreement, um, there, eventually an agreement was struck. So at this time, both countries were coming out of it, kind of doing better. They were independent. And they were able to focus on, hey, who owns this and where does the line go? So in 1881, there was a clear division. And it basically, you, we, you can look up the, um, the, the exact demarcations, but they split it up kind of following some logics. So to, um, from the top of Argentina down to a certain point, they picked a parallel on the line on the map. They said, um, the border here just follows the highest peaks because this kind of mountain range separates our two countries. So whatever the highest peaks are along there, draw a line and that's the border, which is kind of cool. Um, and I think not an uncommon thing. If a mountain range divides two places, you pick the highest peaks and that's where you know one place ends and the other begins. Um, and then also with the Beagle Channel, they chose the deepest part of the Beagle Channel down at the Southern end of the border to be the division. So that brings us back to our friend, the Thalweg uh, three cheers for the Thalweg. So Love that was the, Thalweg. That was the, um, the division. But then in 1887, so just six years after they'd kind of um, come to a clear division and, a, and, a, and an agreement, Argentina suddenly was like, uh, so that line we drew that goes down the deepest part of the Beagle Channel, it actually should turn at this certain point and kind of exit into the open ocean um, at this certain place, not this other place. And if you do that, then we get these three islands that Tyler mentioned, um, Picton Island, Nueva Island, and Lenox Island. Um, so Argentina said, those are Argentine. They are not Chilean. This is where the line should go. Um, the line should encompass those three islands on the Argentinian side. It kind of came out of nowhere. And um, even Argentina's own exploring commission, who is in charge of this stuff, was like, we don't really we can't justify this based on the maps, the records, the exploration, like all of this, the history and the deepest part of the channel, everything, our country, we don't know why our country's doing this. There's, there's a report to that effect. Mm. Um, so Argentina kind of seems like the party foul people here. Um, and then in 1904, Argentina said, all right, Chile, let's just, let's just figure this out once and for all. Um, let's figure out where the deepest part of the border is. Um, or deepest part of the of the channel is, and let's just nail this down once and for all. Not surprisingly, Chile wasn't interested because they said, we've already done this. Everybody kind of agrees where this was, and you're just sort of kind of making arguments that don't have any basis, and just because you're making them, you're expecting us to accept them. 
And um, so that led to kind of the first round of dispute. And there's a lot more that have gone on. There's like, um, again, if you're interested, a bunch of good Wikipedia pages, the snipe incident, um, all sorts of stuff that kind of went almost years of just um, the long and short of it is there's a lot of reasons to have interests. Tyler already told us a little bit about the kind of the trade route or the shipping routes, um, why it would make sense to, for one person to want to be able to draw the lines down there because you can have the faster routes, you can control the routes, you can tax ships coming through, etc. cetera. Um, there's also oil fields discovered down there around this time, um, which will always, you know, get people, anxious and, and fighting. And then there's also um, some lucrative fishing areas down here that would um, that were up for grabs. And then on top of all of this, the Antarctic claims that both countries make, um, Argentina and Chile, are basically based on their claims to those southernmost parts. So basically where they say the lines are down there, they just kind of extend off um, towards the ice wall, as Jeremy would have us believe. And um, and w w the angle of those lines and where they go kind of slice off different parts of, of Antarctica. And that's um, and so if you start changing the lines in Patagonia, you are um, potentially going to shrink or or expand your claim, your little chunk of Antarctica that you claim. And so um, both countries had reason to fight over this territory. And there really is a long history of it. The Beagle um, dispute is kind of one of the last ones and one of the most interesting, but there's plenty of, of others to talk about before, um, before if, you want, if you're interested in hearing about what happened before the, the Beagle conflict. It's interesting that um, they thought that the claim to Antarctica would be appropriate because if you look at the map again, down by Tierra del Fuego with the current border the way it is, mm -hmm. it does look like the border of Chile is like elbowing out Argentina. Like, I'm just gonna yeah. squeeze across. And then that would make sense. It's <laughs> like Argentina feels like they don't get a big slice of the pie. Which, by the way, if, if you've ever looked at a map of how Antarctica is claimed, it's very strange looking because it is, it's like just lines going down to the middle of it. They don't really make those yeah. borders it's just kind of carved into pie slices yep and um and if you look at the the few settlements or like little ports you know named places that are down there those names have changed a lot because oh. they're pretty close to both places like you said 600 miles in a boat is not that far um both countries can launch from their mm -hmm. southern reaches and get to antarctica and start putting their flags on stuff right. And that's kind of what they did. And there's, like I said, lots to go read about. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it at a future time. But like they'd go and set up a little a little fort and build a building and put an Argentine flag and um, name it Port Whatever. And then they'd leave because you can't stay in um, Antarctica very long. They'd come back again when the weather was better and it would be gone. Or oh. there would be Chileans there and they'd have taken the flag down and... Um, there's really not a ton of reasons to want land in our, in Antarctica in kind of the more traditional ways of thinking. You can't farm there. You can't live there. Um, there's not a ton of natural reasons to go down there, but um, they 
they sure do sure did like to fight about and other countries as well people have gone down and kind of said well this is our part of antarctica because nobody claims it so Mm -hmm. in some ways it's kind of up for grabs sort of like the moon yeah (laughs) like who owns the moon uh everyone no one whoever gets there first i don't know and that's kind of been that's kind of been the approach to antarctica at least during this part of the 20th century there's another interesting thing here with the borders of the two oceans the pacific on the left and the atlantic on the right meeting down in the middle beneath argentina and chile i noticed in the notes that there was kind of like an unspoken or maybe it was even written down there was like this belief that Argentina was an Atlantic country and Chile was a Pacific country. And so then when you look at the border of these islands in particular, it makes sense that Argentina would be miffed about that because these islands are on the right side, which is closer to the Atlantic Ocean than they are to the Pacific Ocean. But how do you draw the border between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans at all? (laughs) Like, yeah, nothing there. And I don't know about you, Race, but I recently learned on Wikipedia that they have started describing the world as being composed of five oceans instead of four. When I was in school, we learned about four oceans, Pacific, Atlantic, uh, Arctic, and Indian Ocean. But now they claim, or they describe the bottom ocean as the Southern Ocean, the part of the water that wraps around Antarctica would be a fifth ocean called the Southern Ocean. So I don't even think that plays into this claim at all. It's just... (laughs) <laughs> you know, how do you border the ocean? I, I've also seen a lot of people right. say there's no such thing as different oceans. It's just one world ocean. And I think right. that has its merits, but it also, it makes sense why people divide it. So as far as the conflict, it's kind of a, um, it was kind of a Cold War type situation where everyone was mad at each other. Everyone was really worried that this could cause war because every, um, both Argentina and Chile were claiming um, land. One of the, I alluded to it earlier, but the Snipe incident was a a case where um, the Chilean Navy built a lighthouse um, to improve navigation in this water that was disputed. Um, The Argentine Navy shows up and destroys it. And then it kind of goes back and forth. They rebuild, they move lighthouses to where eventually Uh, an Argentinian ship comes along and uses its cannon to just completely blow one of these um, rebuilt lighthouses off the map. And that's pretty serious. (laughs) You know, guns have, guns have been drawn and and fired at this point. And there was a big military buildup and it was very tense, but then eventually a truce. Um, I like to think partially because how do you get people behind this? I mean, I get, it feels really personal. Like it feels like a, like a squabble. Um, I get that there's some, some economic interests and stuff, but it almost just feels like, well, you started it. Like, Mm -hmm. why can't, you know, um, it, it feels not, not petty, but, but almost like if I were one of these leaders, I feel like it would be hard to convince people to commit to like a full on invasion over, you know, these little incursions, um, lighthouses and stuff. And so it never really went anywhere. The Argentinian military eventually withdrew um, from this kind of disputed place. And then um, that's when the, that was kind of about as violent as it ever got, but there was still, um, there was still this conflict. The junta in Argentina 
Chile's forces, they were pretty well matched. Um, there wasn't like a clear winner. Argentina might have had um, um, a, a slight advantage, but they both prepared for war. And this was in the 70s. This was in the late 70s. Um, like my older sister was alive when this was going on. And um, that was one of the things that really interests me about this is this feels like an old world like an like mm -hmm. past many generations past conflict like there's claims to land that nobody really knows who it owns and um that's just not something that really survives today like the world has been mapped uh for better or for worse there's you know um alexander wept because there were no more worlds to conquer <laughs> yeah. there's not really any jacques cousteau's out there or magellan's um even um even worse discovering new lands um and yet this conflict kind of because of um i feel like the great depression and all of these things they kind of like kicked the can down the road of what should have been like an 1805 um conflict yeah <laughs> that that didn't get settled until you know um guns and roses was a band <laughs> and <laughs> well that's the funny thing is that part of the conflict arose because those lands hadn't really been mapped at the time they were making the border mm -hmm. and they didn't even know which islands were down there when they had that initial border agreement it was like you can't spell it out if you haven't explored the whole thing yet it's funny that it took exactly. them so long to get the map clear yeah yeah it would be sort of like kind of the vague lines or the nobody quite knows how to interpret these lines that we drew um in the westward expansion of the United States. Yeah. And then we just never settled any of it until, you know, the seventies, the, the yeah. <laughs> until Jimmy Carter was president. <laughs> and then it would be like Mexico and the United States arguing Are about clashing it out. And, yeah. Yeah. Who owns Tucson? <laughs> and um, we just, and um, yeah, we just happened to settle that earlier because there were people there and we could go draw yeah. lines and figure it out. But like you say, there was no people down there. And um, both of these countries had pretty severe turmoil um, in the intervening years between their independence and kind of borders being drawn and, you know, the 70s. Yeah. And so it just got pushed away. Huh. But luckily, um, you know, there wasn't wide widespread violence there. Um, a war was averted. Um, and this happened many, many times, you know, in the 20s it happened. And But in this 1978 incident, um, um, the lighthouse was destroyed, but that was pretty much it. And... Um, then they they did finally end up um, finding a solution to it that has a twist that you probably won't see coming. So, Race, if you were having a conflict in 1978 and wanted to have it mediated, who among the many world figures would you have chosen to help mediate the conflict? So I love the idea of mediation. I think that it's... Um, Completely sincerely. I think it's a cool solution to have like a, a third party come in. Um, cooler heads. Who like, who's unrelated like to any of yeah, like yeah, not yeah. Chile and not Argentinian. Yeah. And I mean, no, who can't, no skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. And who can't relate. You, you, you're having a, um, some sort of a, an argument. And so you call, you know, okay, we're going to call mom. My brother and I, I'm sure I've done this. We're going to call mom <laughs> and we're going to ask mom, you know, <laughs> What's the right way to do this? And whatever she says is right. Um, so in 1978, who would I have called? Um, like you said, you want it to be somebody impartial, somebody with obviously with good judgment, who's going to 
tr try and follow the facts, not, you know. Um, who, who was prime minister back then? Margaret Thatcher? I'm going to say. Thatcher in I'm going to say no to Margaret so. She wasn't then? Okay, I have the years wrong. I don't think so. She was, that was close. I, I know she was in the 80s. She may have been in, in, in 78. Yeah, I don't know um, if I want Margaret Thatcher involved. Honestly, I'd, no. Um, have you been watching The Crown? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm on season two, I haven't even gotten to the Margaret Thatcher stuff yet. So yeah. very much so excited I, for it. So you've inspired me. I wouldn't go with Margaret Thatcher, but I would go with the true, um, the true head of the United Kingdom, which is Sir Elton John. Elton John. I would have called Elton John yes. and I would have said, we need you to come here and, um, and start the healing I think he could have done it, right? <laughs> I mean, I, sure. Talk about impartial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He's maybe. got no, there's <laughs> no, no, you know, trade ramifications that are really going to bother him. He can play his concerts wherever. And, you know, so I pick Elton John. I love that choice. That is, however, not who they ended up choosing. <laughs> the person who really got involved. And I don't know if this was uh, their choice or if he just got involved because he wanted to get involved, was Pope John Paul II. Yes. Who was the Pope of my childhood and your childhood. Mm -hmm. He only passed away when we were in high school. And I think probably because Argentina was so predominantly Catholic, and I don't know for sure, but I assume that Chile was Catholic as well. Uh, they just had enough going on down there that the Pope was like, we are concerned for the safety of our catholic citizens in patagonia yeah. yep and yeah i think i think you're right obviously the um catholicism makes sense but even if i i would choose the pope as a, as a somebody to settle a dispute anyways he's kind of a a, a figure of wisdom and he's a a, a a gentleman of advanced age he's seen some things he could probably pull call the right shot anyways let alone the fact that both of these countries um probably had an inherent respect for him anyways and he's typically uh, an advocate for peace i assume you know definitely I right i don't know when the popes of the modern era have been inciting violence <laughs> but i don't think or, he was one of them yeah no definitely not and um and he was polish correct he was polish yeah yeah so definitely no skin in the game you know no. from across mm -hmm. the world well um, unlike I, the current pope who is argentinian right yeah the current that pope would, would be good he'd have to be struck from the list. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a home field advantage problem. Mm -hmm. um, so to answer your question, um, they, they did choose um, the Pope. I don't think. Oh, the Pope, okay. Yeah. They, they kind of, um, as far as I understand it, both agreed to that and then approached the Pope, but um, possible candidates that were also listed were Jimmy Carter, president of the United States. Okay. Um, the Organization of American States, which is exactly what it sounds like, like a league of um, American countries, let them decide it possibly. Um, Juan Carlos I of, of Spain, the King of Spain at the mm. time, he was put up. Um, um, Wikipedia lists a European president. <laughs> so I think they were just kind of both parties were agreeable to like, yeah, you get the president of Germany, France, whatever, like some major European country, we'd probably all agree to that it was nondescript it just said any european president that's what the wikipedia article <laughs> says uh, i think is great that is uh, great they're basically interchangeable 
They're like Menudo, you know, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But yeah, John Paul II was, eventually came in. Um, the Pope kind of got involved and he eventually sent um, sent a Cardinal. Let me get the name. Do you know the name? Do you remember it? Oh, I can't remember his name, but he, he got famous because of this. Yeah. Yes. And then they named, um, they named like a port after him or something mm-hmm. down there after he settled yeah. it. Um, um, yeah. Cardinal Antonio Samore, uh, Moray. And so okay. he was kind of the guy that the Pope dispatched down there to, to settle it. And, um, I just love that, that the, um, the peace treaty in 84, that the Pope had to come in and say, I will turn this car around if you two don't settle down. It's kind of like choosing Mahatma Gandhi, right? It's like <laughs> you couldn't think of anyone else. You had to go straight to the top. Yeah. It's like when you ask people, like, who's your hero? They're like, God. Okay, that's cheating. <laughs> but they did this in real life. Like, who's somebody we can all respect? And they're like, the Pope. Just call the, the Pope. Pope. But he answered the phone. which is And he answered part. the phone. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. And so, yeah, the Treaty of Peace and Friendship um, it was agreed to in 1984 um, between Chile and Argentina. And in 85, it was kind of solidified. And um, what, Tyler, can you tell us about who got what? What, um, you know, did anybody score big in this? Yeah, I mean, so basically, I think in the quiet, quietest way he could do this, the Pope was basically like, we're going to stick to what you decided in the 1880s. <laughs> so you said, I mean, for most of it, it was agreeing on the standard border, which again, looking at the map follows the highest peaks of the mountain until it gets to Tierra del Fuego, where it has this kind of weird straight line down the middle. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, I, I didn't really find anything about why this was a straight line like this, but, you know, I guess they had whatever reason for doing it that way. Uh, yeah, I read, uh, about, I read about that. They just said, so from this point down to this point, it's just a straight line along X. Of longitude, and, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Longitude. I guess um, so. Which, which kind of speaks to the geography you were talking about earlier. There's just nothing there. It's like how the borders of Kansas are just straight lines. There's yeah, not really uh-huh. rivers that you're going to need to follow. There's not a big mountain range. It's just kind of like open land. But it's weird because it breaks this island in half when you would think <laughs> yeah. that it, you would just think that the island would belong to one or the other. But I guess it's a large enough island that they weren't cool with doing that. Right. And then at the bottom of that straight line, you can see the very final border, which follows the Beagle Channel. And the way that it is set up today is that it gives Picton, Lennox, Nueva, all of those islands go to Chile. All to Chile. And... Today, if you choose to be one of the exciting people who launches to go visit Antarctica, which you can do, you can take a boat down there. Um, you can launch, I think you can launch from either um, Argentinian held um, ports or Chilean ports, but they b- will both launch you down there and you can go do a little cruise to Antarctica. And um, this agreement, and I mean, it was a, uh, everybody agreed to it. It was called the, Tres, uh, the Treaty of Peace and Friendship. But just a few years later, when an island um, off the coast of Argentina that Argentina has always claimed um, fell into dispute with the United Kingdom, and there was actually a war and um, a lot of people died, the Falklands War, if you've never um, heard of that, that might be something that has kind of fallen through the cracks of 
of a lot of history books, I think, um, but it's a really interesting um, conflict. But um, in that conflict, Chile, when given the chance to side with Argentina or the Brits, uh, sided with the Brits. And the, the, the thought is that they were still a little bit bitter about um, not having kind of pulled off the, the snatch of these islands that they'd um, tried and that they'd had to agree to give up in 85. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, at the risk of editorializing, it just seems like Argentina <laughs> has been so sour to Chile. And uh, again, they were sour to the British for the Falkland Islands that, of course, Chile is going to help out the British because it's like we're freaking tired of them, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak for how the relationships felt at the time, but that's definitely what it looks like based on the history record. I agree. Um, also, I appreciate your caution towards editorializing, but that should be the title of this podcast is editorializing. <laughs> and we just just give give our wild opinions about historical events. So. I think, yeah, I mean, and that's like, it's hard not to. Like you read these yeah. stories and you feel like you, you see the bad guy and the good guy. Although that's not always the case. Right. But I think we also tend to interpret it through our own eyes, you know, as Definitely. American citizens who are familiar with what we are familiar with, we see these stories and we imagine them as though we had lived them and the way that we would choose sides. Right. It's you kind, think, of, okay. kind of fun to think about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I always think, okay, who are the Nazis and who are the brave, yeah, exactly. beautiful, yeah. righteous American soldiers? Like it's very easy to fall into that line of and thinking. Isn't the interesting thing that there are so many stories that don't have Nazis? You know, the Nazis were a World War II phenomenon, and there have been phenomenons like those. But sometimes when they're fighting over little islands in the South Atlantic and South Pacific, you know, that it's not like a life and death scenario. It's obvious, it's not like this is the end of the world here. It's like, pick a side like you guys need to figure this out without without <laughs> having fighting there's yeah. no reason people should be sent to the front lines to fight when you just can't figure out like who these in uninhabited islands need to go to right yeah you know? and it's so much more nuanced than like oh this person who wants to murder an entire race of people has risen up yeah. and you're either with uh -huh. them or against them it's not that and and you know even World War II in a lot of ways wasn't isn't as simple as we like to think about it. Right. Um, but from like you were saying, an American perspective, that's um, you know it's it's um, that's what you want to do. Who's like you said? Who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? And the ultimate bad guy and good guy in recent history is um, is the Nazis. That's why there's so many movies about them. <laughs> yeah, as twenty Nazis in the his, in in, t in TV and movies. Always. I think as 20th century Americans, that is what we are stuck with. It's like the lens that we see things through, yep. obviously, yep. because it was such a monumental ordeal. But I mean, I actually was watching the movie The Patriot a couple months ago, which oh, yeah, is about the American that. Revolution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that movie very much frames the conflict of the American Revolution in the same light as World War II. So, like, to the extent yeah. that they even have a very infamous scene in the movie where a group of the bad guys rounds up a people, like a group of people in the church, they light, they lock the doors to the church and then right. they light it on fire. And that's right. a real incident that happened in World War II. And nothing like that ever happened in the American Revolution. Hmm. But 
we imagine that it did. And it, it makes sense that it would have because we know that Hitler was the bad guy. We believe that America <laughs> was the good guy. So yeah, why not? Yeah. Have them... And I mean, the, the bad guys very helpfully wore this like big symbol everywhere. So you could yeah. tell who was the bad guy. Just like the red coat. Yeah, it's similar. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and then you get into these other, you know, more, way more nuanced things in American history and also in world history like this. And it's just not as clear. And so it's, it's fun to look at these and kind of, um, right. Yeah. To get into the, the details of something that where there isn't a clear necessarily good guy, bad guy, or even what, um, what the outcome should be. I think a frustrating element of this Beagle conflict in particular is that there are so many ways to resolve conflicts (laughs) without result- resorting to, like, you know, fighting or war. Like, Argentina could have just offered some money for the islands. They could have been like, hey, Chile, we'll, we'll send you this much money for this, you know, however much longer. Or, like, hey, you're allowed to use our roads for free. Or, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of stuff, you right. know. It doesn't have to be, I'm moving all my troops down to Patagonia. Yeah. Like you would in risk. <laughs> Yeah, or like, you know, you get the islands every other week and on Christmas and the 4th of July. A six-month split. Yeah. We get them in the summertime, you get them in the wintertime. <laughs> Our first footnote for today is just to set a few dates right. I got my wires crossed when discussing the Snipe incident and Operation Soberania. In the episode when I discussed the lighthouse that was destroyed, that was indeed the Snipe incident, but that actually happened in 1958, not 1978. 1978 was the year of Operation Soberania, which was the planned invasion of Chile by Argentina. Second, the Treaty of Peace and Friendship that was eventually agreed to by Chile and Argentina and mediated by the Pope came about in 1984, which I did not make terribly clear in this episode. Finally, I mentioned that the two militaries were fairly comparable in power. That may have been true at a certain point in the history of Chile and Argentina, but by the late 70s and early 80s, the period we were mainly discussing here, uh, it was much more accurate to say that Argentina had an advantage over Chile. If you want to send us a message or follow us on social media, check out at Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia on Instagram, at Race and Tyler Pod on Twitter, and you can also email us at Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia at gmail.com. Thanks everyone for listening.